Sometimes it feels like it's you against you, you know? Like there are two parts of your mind at war with each other, one as hero, one as villain, protagonist, antagonist, one advocating for what you really want, the other standing in the way, ruining things, being a jerk. That can be the case with things like obsessive compulsive disorder. Your day would be so much better without the mental requirement to do things you'd rather not be doing. You against you. Or with depression. You want to go about your world in a positive way, but then you have these huge, annoying obstacles in your mind. This split mind at war with itself can apply to a lot of different situations. Even music. It's depression mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. Rishikesh Hirway is maybe best known as the creator and host of the Song Exploder podcast and Netflix TV show, where musicians break down their songs and explain what went into the final product that we hear. It's a remarkable show. Makes you hear music in a different way. It's a testament to musical inspiration. Rishi has several other successful podcasts as well. Before he ever made Song Exploder, Rishikesh Hirwe was a musician, singer, songwriter. And then he hit a wall, a creative block that lasted for years where he couldn't make new music. He was beset with thoughts that told him that he sucked at music, that anything he did, any song that he set out to write was destined to suck. So why bother? Even as he hosted a show that is essentially about creative breakthroughs, he, for many years, was totally devoid of creative breakthroughs with his music. Recently, Rishi has broken through those blocks and is making new music again, and making music about making new music again. This is from his brand new single, Still Dreaming. The dream is dead. Rishikesh Hirway, welcome to Depression Mode. Thanks so much for having me. You've got this new song, Still Dreaming. It's very moving and it's it's very intriguing. Where did this song start? The song started because I have a friend, Jenny Owen Youngs, who's she's also a musician. She also is a podcaster. She has a show called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. And I had met her a few years ago in, in 2018. She and her co-host uh, on that show had invited me to be a guest to talk about an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it was really nice, and, and we had a, had a nice time. But one of the things that Jenny also does is she writes a song for every episode of the show. And some months later, she wrote to me and asked if I might want to write a song with her for, for an episode. And I don't think that she was aware of this at the time, but but in 2018, I was about six years deep into a really crippling writer's block. 
when it came to writing songs of my own. I'd been making music, you know, in that time, but it was kind of stuff for hire. You know, I, I had done some film scores. I'd done music for a, a TV show and some like podcast themes, things like that. But I hadn't written songs of my own for a very long time. And when she asked, you know, if I would write with her, I, I was a little unsure of how to answer because I didn't actually know if the answer was yes. Like I didn't, when she was like, would you like to write? I didn't know if I, I could actually. <laughs> I'm sure you would like to, but you just yeah. didn't know if you actually could. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we did end up writing a song together and, and it was incredible. It, it felt so amazing to just be a part of that again. And, and the song that we wrote really did feel like it was, it was something that I had had a hand in creating. I kind of said yes, because I thought, well, it's, the pressure's not on me. It's on, on her. It's her song. And maybe I can contribute one idea or, or something and, and maybe I can be helpful. <laughs> right. A line in the bridge or something. Exactly. Yeah. But that, that's not the song Still Dreaming. Still Dreaming no. is a song about that song, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so we wrote that song and I, and I suddenly felt like I had touched this feeling that had been missing from my life for many years. And I asked her even before we were done with this first song, I said, could we get together and write again and try and write a song for me? You know, this thing that I haven't done, try and write a song of my own. And I'd never written a song with somebody before, not in this kind of way. And she said, yes. And, and then, a, you know, a few weeks later, we got back together again and, we, and I had an idea for a song and I presented it to her and we wrote that song. And then it suddenly felt like, oh, maybe what I had assumed, which was that my music career was over, um, maybe that wasn't actually true. And so then years later, now, you know, in, in 2022, she and I have written a bunch of songs together and she's introduced me to a whole bunch of people who I've written with and, and she and I have been touring together and I just have been kind of overwhelmed with the gratitude that I have for this person who really like changed my life, changed my life back into the life that I kind of wanted to have and didn't think that I was going to get to. And so that's a very long answer to where this song <laughs> came from. Well, so then the block had been going on for what, five, six years by that point? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, the last album that I'd put out was in 2011. Okay. So quite a while. This is 2018. How did you come unblocked? Well, the first experience of writing with Jenny was so helpful because of that idea that, oh, the pressure's not on me. You know, it was really, it was her thing. And I could just, if I could just assist a little, the stakes felt so different than when I would try and write a song for myself on my own, where the sort of common experience for me was I would try and write a song and I would immediately think of all the reasons why it was terrible. I could picture all the reasons why it would never be something anybody would ever want to listen listen to. And, you know, this was within a minute of trying to write something. I'd, right. I'd, the you know, voices I'd, would start coming in and exactly. not the backing vocals by Emmylou Harris either. <laughs> right. No, it would be uh, <laughs> it would be all the all the reasons why this song was bad and by extension why I was bad and uh, didn't have talent and shouldn't really bother to try and. Uh, cause why try something if you're, if you know, you're not going to be successful at it. And so right. it, it would spiral from there. And, uh, and then I would put the guitar down or, or walk away from the piano for another, however many months. 
<laughs> it's amazing how fast those voices move, right? Like from from just the a seed of insecurity to this full blown self hatred in like you know rocket ship speed. And the thing is, they're very smart. They're they're very smart oh, yeah. and and have such great reasoning. <laughs> it's hard to really go against them. I, I hear all the reasons that they lay out for why I am a no talent hack. And I'm like, mm, that's yeah, I'm convinced. Yeah. I mean, the the line that I think I first heard it from from Jenny Lawson, the writer Jenny Lawson about depression lies. And I think it's a good thing to keep in mind, but it's I don't think people give it enough credit of how good of a liar it is hmm. or anxiety or this whatever this obstacle is in your head. Like it's really, really skilled at it because it's coming. The phone call is coming from inside the house. Yeah. One thing my therapist had uh, asked me to do at one point years ago was try and give a face to what this sort of inner critic was like. Uh, like who is this this person? that maybe it would be easier to sort of confront if I could kind of visualize who they were, or maybe it was just to help them understand, you know, what this process was for me. But <laughs> what I came up with was just a guy who was effortlessly cool and handsome, who basically looked like James Bond in a suit, but wrote music reviews for Pitchfork. <laughs> who could wow. just decimate anything that I put in front of him because he knew what was cool and was clearly superior in all ways. <laughs> I, I didn't know George Clooney even wrote for Pitchfork. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So was it a thing where working, you know, on this Buffy the Vampire Slayer song because, because the breakthroughs always come in unexpected places? Was it a thing where it started to kind of the block started to kind of collapse and then you were fine or is it just bit by bit things are getting a little bit better like was it a breakthrough or was it a process it was a little bit of both i would say it was a breakthrough insofar as i got to have the experience of writing a song and that was monumental that felt really like there was some kind of binary, you know, where it had been a zero for many, many years. And then suddenly it flipped to a one because here was a song that actually existed that had my fingerprints on it. And so that did feel like a breakthrough, but I wasn't sure if I could replicate it. And I think for a while I had kind of labored under the idea. And I kind of feel this way every time I finish a song that maybe I have reached now the bottom of the bucket. Uh huh. And and there are no more songs left. Like I had a certain number of songs that I was allotted at birth, and um, <laughs> and at a certain point, I'm going to run through all the ideas, and that'll be it. And so for a while, I thought, well, I guess I can't write another song because I've already I've already gone through my allotment. And then I wrote this song with Jenny, and I thought, oh, wow, I, there was another song in there. But I didn't know if that meant that there were more or if uh, if that could be the last one. But it did give me a feeling of hope that maybe there were, you know, where I thought there had been none, that maybe there was actually, it turned out there was at least one and maybe there there could be more. So that hope was something that was entirely new. And so the new song, Still Dreaming, I was listening to him like, man, this is this is some dark shit. And then it has a, a very solid turn, you know, where literally on is then I met you and you're talking about your collaborator. You looked into an empty room and saw me still dreaming. 
was that the turning point where you were finally able to recognize somebody else who saw something in you? Like, was was that the, the necessary part to break it out? Like, you wouldn't have done it on your own, but if you had somebody else who believed in you, then you could believe them where you couldn't believe you? Yeah. At least in, in my case, that was definitely what happened. I, I think that I would have been stuck there forever, maybe if I if I had kept going, because I think one of the big differences um, in the sort of before and after was I had felt like the only person who wanted any music from me again was me. Like the only person who ever wanted another song was me and and kind of maybe the my usefulness in the world my utility to the world was not served by trying to write music and maybe it was just self-indulgent and, and i wasn't yeah that the world wanted other things from me even even if i wanted to be making music you know and th this is really because like the podcasts that i had been making were more popular than the music i had ever made uh, had been right yeah, I was going to ask you about that because it, it seems like if you're spending this time with songwriters and you're hearing about these ideas, like one school of thought would be, well, of course he would then get inspired. You know, you're you're talking to these, you know, Alicia Keys, you're talking to these amazing people, Lindsey Buckingham, and how could you not then get inspired and create 50 new songs just by going home? But did it cut the other way where? you were intimidated or you were just burnt out or something from, from the success of song exploder. Yeah. The, it happened on a couple of different levels. It's ironic because the way that I try and edit the show, the sort of the way that I try and structure the episodes from their raw interview is so that people will leave feeling inspired, feeling inspired to make something it doesn't have to be music, but just feeling like, Hey, there was this person who had started with nothing. And then, they made this thing and maybe I can too. And so that was always my aim with the show, but it didn't happen for me that way because on a very practical level, just making the show took up so much time that my brain didn't really have a moment to relax. I think the combination of doing the show and always having some kind of small item that I needed to cross off a to-do list kept me from dropping into the kind of the kind of you know semi dream state that i think a lot of ideas come from because making the podcast it was creative work but it was more about the labor than it was about sort of the concept i'd already kind of figured out what the concept of the show was and you know between that and you know having a smartphone there was never really a moment for me to just kind of zone out the way that that I used to. But then I think yeah, on the other on the other side of it, emotionally, it was hard to talk to these people who were just incredible and and at the top of their game and and maybe even more to the point, incredibly successful with with very popular songs. And then try and say, well maybe I can do something like that too. I I kind of I kind of applied the same judgment to my own music before it was written as I would to like, what kind of song would I would like to have on the show? And those aren't really fair as equivalents, you know, to say, well, yeah, it would be great to have a song on the show that was a huge hit in several countries, but then to go start writing music of my own and then 
feel like, well, this will never be a hit in any country. <laughs> right. I'd start to feel like, well, so what's the point? Like who, who cares? Why, why, why would anybody care? And how do I, how do I justify spending time on this? Right. If it's not going to turn out like what the roots wrote, then, yes. <laughs> then, then why even that's so interesting that, I mean, do you think that's fr from what you've learned about inspiration and creativity and art, do you think that happens for a lot of people where instead of being inspired, they're intimidated by encountering other great art? I hope not. I, I, I imagine I, I can't, this isn't unique to me, but coming from a place now that where I have since rounded the corner, I am actually able to pull a lot of inspiration from the show. It is doing the thing that I kind of, in theory, hoped it would. I'll talk to somebody and they'll say something and it'll spark some exciting idea for me. Or even I'll be in the, this has happened a lot. This actually happens in an element of still dreaming in the part, you know, where, where it goes to the chorus and says, then I met you, you know, this kind of, it's more major and it's this prettier, sweeter part, but I wanted to still have the kind of dark stuff in there. And I was trying to figure out how to do that musically. And I remembered a thing that an artist, John Hopkins had said to me in an episode of song exploder in his interview, he had, his process was so wild, but one of the things that he did was he took his in an entire song that he made and put all these effects on it and basically slowed it down. And he essentially put it through a grinder and then used the entire song that he had just finished as just one layer as the starting point for a new song. And it sounded really gnarly and, and cool and, and hard to pin down. And so I, I thought maybe I'll try that. I will try that exact same technique for this part of the song where I really want something kind of weird and, and dark and uh, unidentifiable. And, and so now I get to <laughs> go back and look at eight years of the show and think about things that people said that, that I could uh, be inspired by. But, but yeah, for, for a long time, their success was really um, proof to me that I shouldn't be trying. <laughs> wow. That's so funny that that a show that inspires so many people and that, you know, is built for this goal of now I'm going to go write some songs had the, the opposite effect. Like, you know, you're you took one for the team, really. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear a little of that song that Rishi made with Jenny Owen Youngs. This is called Hush. Her Majesty served Great Britain and the Commonwealth loyally for over 70 years. And while, of course, we feel a profound sadness, we must remember she lived a long life and died in such a way that I think many of us would want for ourselves. She was at home, surrounded by her family. And, of course... She was listening to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is a multi-award winning comedy podcast and you can find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Back with Rishikesh Hirwe, musician, active musician once more, and host of Song Exploder. When did you start exploding songs? When did the idea for the podcast come around, and how did that get built? I started thinking about this show in this sort of initial period of writer's block. I don't even know that I identified it as writer's block yet because it was still pretty early. This was 2013. And after that last album of mine had come out, I scored a couple of films. And one of those films came out in 2012 and one came out in 2013. And I kind of thought, well, after I've scored two films now, maybe, maybe I will enter this new chapter of my career as a film composer. But it turned out like after doing two films, you know, after the first film and after the second film, it was basically the same as having scored no films. I didn't have a reputation that I could say, oh, now, now people are just knocking on my door. I still had to kind of pound the pavement to find opportunities. And that was scary. And I didn't really know how I was going to do that. So in 2013, I kind of, I made a new year's resolution, I think, where I, I committed to the idea of trying new things in a way that I hadn't uh, for, for essentially my entire adult life because I was so single-mindedly focused on trying to be a musician. I wanted to do that. I wanted to pursue that. And it felt like if I took my foot off the gas, even for an instant, I'd lose momentum and I'd, I'd, anything that I'd built would, would disappear. And so I really, uh, I never kind of gave myself the chance to explore other projects. But at that point in, in 2013, I thought, well, things aren't really happening. Like my, my music career was okay. You know, it was like a B minus maybe. And uh, I think in a coming from a family where uh, B minus is absolutely unacceptable um, in other contexts, looking at my career kind of soberly and thinking like, oh, B minus is, is what I've got. It was hard to say like, yeah, maybe I should keep going with this. I'll never get into music Yale with a GPA like that. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The indie rock Ivies are not, <laughs> not, they're not recruiting. Yes. They're not coming for me. Yeah. So yeah, I just thought, let me, let me see what else is in my head. And for a year, I'm going to just try a bunch of things. And Song Exploder had been an idea that, that had come, come to me kind of in pieces over maybe a decade or so. There's a really wonderful music magazine called Tape Op. It's, I think it's called the Creative Recording Magazine. And it's really, I felt geared towards somebody like me, as opposed to some kind of, you know, music industry magazine, recording industry magazine, where everybody is in these like million dollar studios with million dollar equipment. That was a magazine that talked to artists, a lot of artists that I really loved, like the microphones and the books, all the, like a lot of cool indie artists that were doing a lot of DIY recording and coming up with unique solutions to, to kind of creative problems. And I would read those interviews and I thought they were really wonderful and insightful, but I really wanted a level of audio show and tell to go with them. The books talked about, I remember this, they had an interview from, I don't know, 2005 or 2006 talking about how they made a bass drum sound by putting a speaker inside of a filing cabinet, a metal oh, filing wow. cabinet, and then recording that. And I just kind of felt like 
that sounds like such an amazing idea. I wish I could hear that thing just by itself. And so that's, and so that's, uh, that's what you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what started to build and build. So at that point, were you already in this creative block? You know, I, I don't think that I, I think if you asked me that, I, I wouldn't have said so. I think I, I would have said, I'm taking a little break from my music project as it is. You know, my the name of my project was called, it was called the 1AM Radio. It was me, but that was sort of the name that I used to make records. And I was like, oh, I'm just taking a little break from the 1AM Radio. I can't break up my, with myself, but I was taking a little break <laughs> and, and I'm going to just try other things. I had started making music at that time with another guy with an, now he's a famous actor, Lakeith Stanfield. But at the time he was just starting out and we had met and, and we were making, and we were making music. And I thought, this is exciting. This is a, a new band. That was sort of a new thing to try. And this podcast idea was a new thing to try. And I had a couple of other projects that I was exploring. So I interviewed my friend, Jimmy, Jimmy Tamborello, who is half of the band, the postal service because he was somebody who I was very close with. We had toured together and we'd known each other for um, maybe seven or eight years at that point. And I explained to him what I was trying to do and uh, and asked him if he would let me just come over and record some, you know, I'd never interviewed anybody, but could I try and interview him and, and talk to him about this? He said, yes. And then I started to put together this show based on that. And um, it took a little while for, for, it didn't come out until 2014, but that's really how it started. And, and then you've, how many other shows have you launched since then? How big is the <laughs> Hereway catalog right now? <laughs> um, I started a show called the West Wing Weekly in yep. uh, 2016. With Joshua Molina. With Joshua Molina, yeah. And then in 2020, I made a show called Home Cooking with Samin Nasrat uh, that was sort of inspired by the inspired sounds so wrong. Uh, that was a result of the pandemic and people kind of trying to respond to the feeling that everybody had, you know, when, when things shut down and grocery stores were out of food and restaurants were closed about how everybody was now going to be home cooking. And so how do we uh, do that? And trying to make a lighthearted show. So we did that. And then I also in that year started a, another podcast called Partners that was kind of based on the style of Song Exploder, a non-narrated, you know, kind of highly edited show but instead of a song being the subject of the episodes it was a relationship it was a relationship between two people and you know it was kind of a show about feelings and and love and and so i've done a couple of seasons of that show have you found it easier to kind of iterate new ideas for podcasts and other projects once you kind of found a way to to bust up the block that you had about music like do, do the same lessons and approaches cross apply no I, I would say actually with the podcast stuff it's a lot easier for me to pitch myself an idea and then you know follow through with it now there's like this spinoff of song exploder book exploder with susan orlean with susan orlean yeah and uh and i've helped other people start shows and and produce them and I think the the biggest difference is that I don't feel as precious about making podcasts. I can take them very seriously as a as work and as a creative idea, but it doesn't feel tied to my identity. You know, I think probably people who might only know me through a podcast 
might think, okay, that's who this person is, but it's not how I see myself. And so a lot of this stuff is just about internal pressure. And I felt a lot of internal pressure around music and not so much around podcasts. That That's interesting. It's almost like you weren't as hung up on on the rules or on maybe a younger used version of what things were supposed to be. I'm putting supposed to be in quotation marks. And so you just found, found some more freedom. Yeah. I really didn't know what I was doing when I started song exploder. I'd never, as I mentioned, I'd never interviewed anybody. I'd never done any kind of storytelling like that. I'd never done any kind of journalism or, or anything. It felt more closely aligned to doing a remix for somebody by just saying, oh, I'm going to combine these parts of your music and these parts of your story and put them in a context that feels right to me. I didn't have to feel, um, I didn't have to feel insecure. I mean, I felt insecure. <laughs> it's part of the reason why I'm not in Song Exploder, why I don't speak in the show, but, but I just, it felt more, more fun and, and it was definitely liberating to do something where I didn't have to feel like if it were a failure, it meant that I was a failure as a person. As a yeah, that you had no value on a basic level. It's funny, you know. I I always forget that you aren't narrating your way the whole way through because I, when I listen to Song Exploder, I feel like I hear you all the way through, but it's in the <laughs> edits and mixes. Yeah, you know, like that forms a voice just as distinctly as if you were speaking into a mic. I think that's because uh, you know how these shows get made. <laughs> Maybe that's why. <laughs> you mentioned going to therapy. Have you ever been diagnosed with a depression or an anxiety disorder, anything like that? Answer to that one in a moment. You're in a theater. The lights go down. You're about to get swept up by the characters and all their little details and interpersonal dramas. You look at them and think, that person is so obviously in love with their best friend. Wait, am I in love with my best friend? That character's mom is so overbearing. Why doesn't she just stand up to her? Oh God, do I need to stand up to my own mother? If you've ever recognized yourself in a movie, then join me, Jordan Cruciola, for the podcast Feeling Seen. We've talked to author Susan Orlean on realizing her own marriage was falling apart after watching Adaptation, an adaptation of her own work, and comedian Hari Kondabolu on why Harold and Kumar was a depressingly important movie for Southeast Asians. So join me every Thursday for the Feeling Scene podcast here on Maximum Fun. Back with Rishikesh Hirway, and before the break, I had asked if he had ever been diagnosed with depression. No, I, I have had some sort of episodes, I guess you might say, like depressive episodes that I've talked about in therapy. And it's something that I'm kind of on the lookout for, especially because I know that uh, as you get older, there's a, the chance for it to get worse is higher as well. So it's the sort of thing that I I'm on the lookout for, but no, I, I haven't haven't been diagnosed with anything. Well, it's funny though, be, because the process that you describe of kind of busting things up, like you know your collaboration on the the Buffy thing or starting podcasts, like taking this thing that was sort of maybe stuck, maybe just static, maybe stalled, and then 
giving it a jolt is so similar to so many depression treatments, not so much therapy or, or meds as like microdosing psilocybin or Mm. ECT or, I mean, even lithium. Like it's, it's this idea that we're not going to fix everything, but you know, we're just going to like a Nintendo, like we're just going to blow into the cartridge or or smack (laughs) it around a little bit and something will get loose. And it seems like it's been very effective where you weren't like, okay, I need to get to the bottom of exactly why I can't write a song. And it was more like, let's just fuck with things for a little bit and see what happens as a result. Yeah. It was kind of either intentionally or unintentionally pretty wise on your behalf. I think, you know, one of the things that uh, is very much related uh, is the idea of kind of um, neural pathways and kind of synaptic grooves that you get into. Yes. um, That with depression you know, you start to have this kind of very immediate chain reaction to certain kind of stimuli that then leads to a depressive thought, like just immediately, like in a, in, a, in the blink of an eye. Cognitive distortions, we sometimes call them. Okay. Yeah. And I think that that was something, you know, on a spectrum that I was experiencing. And a lot of what the experience of collaborating with somebody else on songwriting has done for me has been to disrupt that kind of the neural pathway of negative thinking that instead of me immediately saying, this is terrible. I hate it. I'm bad. And I should never try this again. Just having somebody else in there, I extend a level of courtesy to them. They extend a level of courtesy to me that, that just slows the atmosphere down from what happens inside my own brain. And I have to articulate things. And just the act of speaking makes my thoughts slow down compared to when I'm just in dialogue with myself. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, and and you have to be careful with the phrasing. You have to be careful to be understood. And and it doesn't doesn't put that jolt of adrenaline into the panicky thoughts. Yeah. And if they contribute an idea, I have a lot more faith and compassion and respect for something that they might suggest than I might for myself. And I think similarly, you know, they, the, you know, the people who I've written with, not a a huge number of people at this point, but the small number of people I've written with are incredibly nice, respectful, talented people. And so when I suggest something, they treat it with respect they treat it with more respect than I would treat my own idea. And that just gives it a little bit of oxygen to potentially exist for a second before, you know, I instantly destroy it. You have such a close relationship with with creating things and and it seems to go so deep for you. I want to talk about a couple of uh, challenges that that you faced, one being the pandemic. I'm interested in in what that did for your for your mental health and for your your process. And then I want to talk about, maybe we start by talking about the loss of your mother. And when did she pass? She passed away in November of 2020. So, so within the first, you know, uh, year of the pandemic. Okay. Was it, was it from COVID? No. Um, she passed away from really from complications of, uh, a neurological condition that she'd had for many years. Okay. Uh, she, her health had been declining for about 10 years at that point or nine years. 
slowly for the first kind of four or five, and then she kind of more or less plateaued. But then, um, yeah, things got got kind of rough in the last month before she passed away. And how did you, I mean, obviously nobody handles it well. It's never a great thing, but in terms of, in terms of sort of balancing these, these forces in your mental health and your ability to kind of move smoothly through the world, you know, just as a human or as a creator, like, uh, how did that go for you? I don't know if this sounds cold to say, but I think because of the way that her condition progressed, I had um, been kind of practicing grieving for several years. By the time she passed away, she was so different from the person that I thought of. You know, her ability to speak and move around had been severely impaired. And so um, even when I got to spend time with her in person, it was, it was greatly reduced from, from what my experience had been for most of my life. So it wasn't as much of a shock, uh, I think, uh, as if she had been a completely healthy person one day and then gone the next. And then what about the pandemic? What did that do for, you know, for somebody who has sometimes run into trouble when left alone with his thoughts. It seems <laughs> the pandemic just gives you a front row ticket to your, all your thoughts, doesn't it? Well, I I really avoided that by just taking on more work than I've ever had before. So at that time, you know, I was doing the Song Exploder podcast, but I was also doing the Song Exploder Netflix show and also partners for the beginning of the pandemic and then also home cooking with Samin. And I was working on Book Exploder a little bit as well. I had basically six projects more or less going at the same time. So I really didn't give myself a chance to be alone with my thoughts. Uh -huh. The hardest part was for sure trying to navigate losing my mom in that context because, you know, we couldn't hold, it was pre-vaccines. We couldn't hold a memorial for her in person and her funeral was just you know it was just my family it was very very small so i felt a little bit like we didn't get the chance to kind of honor her in the way that i would have liked a person who you know who she was she had so many friends and and um, was loved by so many people and um, was such a social person for so much of her life and we didn't get to really honor her in that way because of the the conditions and that was really really tough I keep looking for ways to kind of uh, be able to introduce her to people <laughs> who who didn't get to meet her. And, and sometimes I feel like, well, it's already, it's been two years, you know, maybe it's time to let it go. But, um, but uh, other times I think, well, no, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, don't, don't let it go until you're done with it. <laughs> That's, yeah. uh, you know, that, that love belongs to you and, and, you can keep it as long as you want. I was listening to your TED talk about, about listening. I was listening to you talk about listening <laughs> and I was listening to that. What have you learned about listening over the course of, I'm especially curious from the perspective of someone who would make music for people to listen to for so long and then switching into 
some of these podcasts where a lot of what you had to do was this really intense, focused listening. What have you learned about listening? You know, I actually think the thing, the things that I've learned the most about listening have come to me from the experience of therapy. It just happened to be that I started therapy only a little bit before I started making podcasts. So they really are, are tied in my mind. The experience of trying to understand, well, also specifically, it was um, my wife and I went to couples therapy. That was how, how I first experienced therapy. And so it was a matter of kind of listening to myself, listening to the therapist, but also, and also listening to my wife and trying to um, understand how different we each were. But I learned so much just from, from seeing how my therapist operated and the way that he would try and find that layer below whatever the feeling was, what caused that and what had caused that and what had caused that. And not to be too glib about it, but with Song Exploder, I feel like there's a way to talk about music that's very superficial, but there's another way to talk about it where you trace back the origins of an idea, you know, that someone can say, oh, I, well, what did you do? Oh, I, I played this part on, on, you know, on this mandolin. And then that became the, that became the hook. But then you can ask like, well, where did that come from? Why were you playing a mandolin? How did that come into your life? How is it that that was what you reached for? Why is it that, that these were the notes that for someone who feels like it's instinct, that there's actually a level of environment and choice and uh, this combination of nature and nurture sort of in that particular context that led to this thing coming out. And I think that's what's the most interesting part. So I could see how that all worked in therapy and I tried to apply it there. And really I felt like it was about listening to someone. It's about asking questions, but you have to listen to them well enough to understand what the next question is to ask. Yeah. Yeah. They, they say that the best natural interviewers in the world are three-year-old children huh. because they, they will keep asking why about the one <laughs> thing that you thought you were going to just sort of slide by them and they'll grab it and say, yeah, but why? Until you eventually tell them a basic honest truth or they break you. You know, right. <laughs> either of which makes for a good interview. Um, your description of of kind of prying into what comes before and what comes before that it makes me think of the um, the interview you did with Dan Wilson of Semisonic about closing time, which I think is, if I had to gun to my head, that was probably my favorite episode of that show hmm. because it, it is it dives so much into. You know, here's this thing that you know, and I'm just going to keep going back on it. And it's going to, you're going to realize it starts from this much deeper and more tender place than a lot of people ever thought. C certainly people who thought that it was about a bar closing exclusively. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorites too, actually. And he's somebody who I met through Jenny and he, he and I collaborated to make Still Dreaming. He co-produced it with me. Oh, Okay. Nice. And that was a relationship that came out of, you know, having had that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Way to pick up Adele's producer. That's nice. <laughs> right. Nice <Yeah>. work. <laughs> what kind of music are you working on now? And how does it sound? Um, I mean, hmm. 
if I haven't actually run out of songs, you know, because like I said, each one I think might be the last one, then I think I'm trying to just keep making more. And I think one of the things that helps with the writer's block is to not try and preconceive them too much and say, oh, I'm trying to make this kind of music or this is what my goal is um, too specifically. I used to do that a little bit. And so I don't totally know how to answer your question because I don't know that I know the answer myself. I think I just want to make something that feels brutally honest and and not try and uh, hide too much behind metaphor or allegory or something like that. I think one of the things that changed for me is that I, while I'm still, you know, would love, love to be a successful musician um, in terms of all the ways that I used to think about it, I think there's a part of me now that just feels like grateful to be reconnected with it. And I want to be able to keep going. Like it feels good to be able to pull my feelings out from inside of me and put them out into this form. And, uh, and so I just hope that I can keep doing that. I can still have that as a relationship in my life. Rishkesh Hirway, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's Rishikesh Shearway. We have links to lots of his work in the music and podcast fields on our show page. Let's go out on a bit more of his new song, Still Dreaming. Next time on Depression Mode, a lot of people are concerned about the effects of social media on mental health. One of those people, the Surgeon General of the United States. This lack of transparency, lack of safety standards, in my mind, is a profound challenge. And I worry that we will look back on this in five years, 10 years, and see our failure uh, to understand fully the impact of social media on our kids in particular, and to address the mental health impact of these platforms as a colossal societal failure. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy joins us. If people support our show, we can have a show. We like having a show, so ergo, won't you support us? It's easy to do if you're already supporting us. By the way, thank you so much. You're helping all this stuff get into people's ears and brains where it can help them. If you haven't yet supported the show, now is the time to do it. It's super easy. Just go to MaximumFun.org, select Depression Mode, and then find a level that works for you could not be easier be sure to hit subscribe give us five star reviews write glowing things that helps more people find the show and we appreciate that the suicide and crisis lifeline is available in the united states by calling 988 super easy to remember 988 maybe write it down anyway or 1-800-273-TALK 
The Crisis Text Line, also free, always available. Text HOME to 741741. They'll text you back. Please use our electric mail address, depressionmode at maximumfun.org. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies. We're on Twitter at DepressPod. Our Depression Mode newsletter is on Substack. I write that. It comes out twice a week. Search it up. I'm on Twitter at John Moe. Hi, Credits listeners. I make music also, but on a very amateur level. I've never been on Song Exploder, but I did write a song called Let's Go Camping. It's about going camping. Boom. Now it's been song exploded. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now. Building wings on the way down. I am figuring things out. Building wings, building wings, building wings. This is Shelly in Toronto, and I want you to know that the world is better because you're here. You're here, and you stay, and you keep fighting, and we're all glad that you do. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.